I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This minisode is the first installment of a series that's going to focus on finding a good wife or how to find a good wife. And part of finding a good wife is avoiding women who tear down a household or will tear down a household, as opposed to the work of a wife, which is helping to establish and expand a household. So these episodes are going to function as a sort of basic vetting guide by looking at negative traits in a potential wife. Kyle Trouble is an internet entrepreneur, a guy on Twitter who writes manuals on how to pick up and have sex with various types of women. Lori Alexander, on the other hand, is a Christian blogger with a little bit of a fundamentalist streak to her. And despite their differences, these two found themselves embroiled in internet infamy for the same reason a couple months back. Alexander wrote a blog post titled Godly Men prefer debt-free versions without tattoos. And the post was directed towards young women. And the goal, as as I understood it, was to educate them on how to put themselves in the best position to land a quality husband. So she advises them to stay virgins into marriage, stay out of debt, and don't get tattoos. And then Kyle Trouble, he tweeted out the following post. And this is I, this thing went, it got retweeted a, a ton of times. And, and I saw a bunch of people share it. He says, um, easy things to ask on a first date that tell you whether a girl is worth deeper investment. Relationship with father. Sexual past. Views on children. Attitude towards men. Ability to cook, clean, domestic duties. All can easily be woven into a first date conversation. And then he followed up that tweet with some examples on on how someone could naturally ask these questions. Now, both of these posts generated intense outrage. I mean, people debated Laurie Alexander's uh, blog posts, and they had responses to it on these different websites, and it was all over the place. Same thing with Kyle Trouble. And I have no desire to get bogged down in the particulars of each of of these uh, social media or blog posts. Uh, in general, I, I don't see much wrong with their counsel, you know. Um, I would tweak some things here and there. What, what I found interesting, though, was the visceral reaction to any standard being applied to women. Now, it's common to hear pastors warn women about bad men. Some have had parts of their sermons go viral as they lay into guys for being those types of men. Remember Mark Driscoll uh, screaming, how dare you, is his rant. And uh, Matt Chandler, he actually once prayed, this was in one of his sermons, it's almost like an imprecatory prayer. He says, Father, for the men in this room who prey on insecure women with wounded hearts. Father, I just pray over these men a type of weight on their souls that would be crushing. Father, I thank you that you do not take lightly wolves hunting down your daughters, and that there would be a day that these men, hollow-chested boys and grown-up bodies, will cry out as you come for the mountains to fall, and the mountains will flee before your coming. I thank you that you are a just judge who will not hand 
handle lightly boys who can shave, who take advantage of your daughters. I pray that there might be repentance for these men for the salvation of their own souls. So Chandler's pretty over the top. But perhaps his church is loaded with hollow-chested boys on the prowl for insecure women. And you gotta do what you gotta do. Right? If that if your church is full of men like that, which apparently enough that he has to have this prayer sound like one guy, there's there's a lot of men. Um you, you gotta say things like that if that's the situation you're in. And so I don't I don't have an issue with a pastor laying into men or warning women about bad men, Mr. Wrong. They they should do it. I do it. I want my daughters to avoid bad men and marry godly guys. But here's my question. Where are all the sermons and bold rants against female predators? Maybe they exist. I have never heard one. You know, I have never heard one. Maybe Chandler has an imprecatory prayer against all the harlots in his congregation. Maybe Driscoll, how dared you, all the immoral women sitting in the pews at Mars Hill's church back in the day. But I've never heard them. In Proverbs, though, we find both a father and a mother warning their son about the dangers of immoral women. In chapters 5 and 7, a father gives his son two very detailed warnings about the ruin that comes from being caught in a web of a strange woman. And in chapter 31, the famous, you know, this is where you, the right sort of woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, uh, but before that happens, a mother warns her son of the strength-depleting nature of promiscuous women in verse 3. Similar lessons can be found throughout both Testaments. They're just not found in our pulpits. Now why? Well, I'm sure the answer is multifaceted. But I'll give you two factors that immediately spring to my mind. Uh, first, Western churches lack a clearly formulated doctrine of sexuality. That's part of the purpose of it's good to be a man. We're, we're doing our best to put something together like that. And so when you lack a, a good doctrine of sexuality, you're going to make all sorts of errors when it comes to the nature of men and women. These errors usually take the form of diminishing sexual distinctions, like androgyny. There is, however, one glaring exception, that the church has a long history of believing women somehow possess a natural goodness that men lack. And, you know, they're little angels. The idea that women are cleaner, purer, somehow. Um, and that idea is absolutely foreign to Scripture. Read Ezekiel 23. You want to read an intense chapter of Scripture, read Ezekiel 23. Nonetheless, uh, this idea that women are angels has led the church to be incredibly soft on the sins of women. And you can see it laid out in chapter 2 of Leon Pottles, The Church Impotent. Now, uh, the second reason is pastors are scared of the backlash that will come when they start to hold women accountable. And I don't blame them. It'll be intense. That, that's why I noted the reactions against Lori Alexander and Kyle Trouble. Western women have been thoroughly compromised by feminism. We all are. It's the air we breathe, the water we swim in. It's my observation that feminism undermines women's agency a lot of times. It does this by casting women merely as oppressed victims. One of the typical characteristics of victim mentality is an unwillingness to take responsibility for your own actions. Thus, feminism has produced women that are quick to buck against any objective standard, not of their own creation. 
because it would make them take responsibility for their own moral failures or the things that they lack. There are men that women should avoid. I'm not denying that. However, there are also women that men should avoid. Some women will lead you to misery and destruction. That is exactly what scripture says. So in this series, I want to lay out some of the attributes of a bad woman, pulling heavily from the book of Proverbs. Before I get to that, it's important to establish that the aim here is not to scare you away from women in general. I understand the motivation, the thinking behind MGTOW, men going their own way. I get it. And there's, I actually have a, a, a great deal of sympathy. Uh, but it is antithetical to Scripture. In Proverbs 18.22, Solomon writes, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's, you know, it's true. A godly wife is a remarkable blessing. I love my wife. Uh, she's a sinner. Uh, she's not perfect, but she makes my life so much better. She is truly a helpmate, and she's given me children and joy, and just it's great. It's great to be married. Uh, as a man, I can subdue the world, but I can't fill it. Obeying the creation mandate requires a marriage. It takes a man and a woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. No man can build a household without a good woman at his side. Therefore, it is a massive step forward for a man when he finds a wife. However, marriage is not without its risk. A good woman will further the mission of establishing a godly house. But Proverbs 14.1 says, A foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. So just as a woman must be careful in accepting a proposal of marriage, so must a man be equally careful in extending one. He has to choose wisely. His search for a wife must be informed by wisdom. This means he's going to need to know how to filter out bad candidates for a wife. Therefore, in this series, I'm going to focus on a few of the attributes Scripture uses to describe an ungodly woman. And what I want to look at in this, this minisode uh, is going to come mainly out of Proverbs 7, where a father warns his son not to be like so many naive young men who fall into the webs of an immoral woman. It's verses 1 through 5. And the consequences are dire. In verses 26 and 27, he cautions, For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Many men can testify to the hell it is to be married to ungodly woman. The best path is always to avoid her altogether. And that's why Proverbs says, Do not stray into her path. Stay away. So how do you know? Uh, how do you know when to metaphorically cross to the other side of the street? The wise father in Proverbs answers by instructing his son through the recollection of a man he saw seduced by evil feminine wiles, verses 8 and 9. And in verses 10 through 21, he lists several attributes which are helpful in spotting such a woman. And the first one I want to look at here is, uh, is you can often spot an ungodly woman by her attire, by her clothing. The wise father says, And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot, in verse 10. Clothing, as we've said before, is a form of communication. It says something about us. For example, the Babylonian warriors that surrounded Nineveh were decked out in scarlet. 
Why, Matthew Henry says, the valiant men are in scarlet, not only red clothed to intimate what bloody work they designed to make, but rich clothes to intimate the wealth of the army, and that is the sinews of war. It isn't just warriors that use clothing to communicate. The wealthy often dress in such a way as to communicate their power and prestige. We see this in Luke 7.25 and 16.19. The penitent often dress in such a way to communicate their humility and grief over sin. For example, 2 Kings 19.1. The royal virgin daughters dress in such a way to communicate their purity or, in one very sad case, the loss of it. In 2 Samuel 13.17-19. What does a harlot communicate with her clothing? The simplest answer is her sexual availability. She dangles the possibility of sex in exchange for something she desires. That desire could be for money or attention, right? Think of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You know, I I see all these uh, conservative women on Twitter that are all talking about family values and, and all this. And they're, and they've got their clothes painted on and all their little profile pics. You know, they've got their breasts hanging out. I mean, it's, it's not godly at all. And it says like, hey, your politics might be good, but something ain't right. Right? You know what I'm talking about? She's looking for attention. And she knows her sexuality will get it. So there's a plethora of other things that she might be using her sex for, her sexuality. Sometimes she's motivated by economics. Other times she is twisted. Uh, she's the twisted product of wicked shaping influences. Regardless, a woman dressed in immodest clothing should communicate danger to the wise man. She's like a brightly colored snake. Beautiful to look at, and even that's dangerous, right? But she catches your eyes, but she's certainly dangerous to touch. Now, I know people will want me to lay out some standard for immodest and modest clothing. Every time we get to this, they want a style guide. If we talk about effeminate clothing or feminine clothing, they want to know uh, exactly how to spot it and define it. And and I don't have one for you, but I, I will say two things. Immodest clothing is clothing that makes a woman or a man into a spectacle. This spectacle could come in the form of too much or too little. It makes her sexuality scream, look at me, here I am. And it highlights something about her that should be for her spouse and her spouse alone. It's clothing or makeup that accentuates aspects of her sexuality to the extent that it is hard to ignore. That's immodest clothing. Modest clothing doesn't hide a woman's sexuality. It's rarely a good sign when a woman is ashamed of her feminine features Clothing shouldn't totally mute a woman's sexuality. Sexual silence can be just as concerning as clothing that screams. According to scripture, there is male clothing and female clothing. Deuteronomy 22.5 A woman's clothing should modestly sign her sex. And she's saying, I'm a woman. God made me to be a woman. I'm not ashamed of this. But at the same time, she's not making herself a spectacle. You're looking for a woman that loves being a woman. She embraces her femininity. She isn't ashamed of her curves, her lips, or her hair, but she also possesses the godly character to resist the modern temptation of monetizing them. Monetizing them for cash, for attention, for praise, for whatever. And this is partially demonstrated in her dress, especially in how she dresses in pictures posted on social media. So, If you're going to date a girl, 
might I suggest that you check out her Instagram account and you check out her social media as you, as you move into the relationship. If she's got a lot of immodest uh, pictures on there and she's got a lot of guys comedy on and hearty and everything, uh, I, I think that's something you should consider as a, a, a warning sign, it, you know? Now, remember, we all are works in process. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you're, you're wanting to grow as a man. We're doing these podcasts because we want to grow as a man. As we study these things, they help improve us as well and help us grow in holiness. My wife never dressed like a harlot. That being said, she did wear a few things early in our dating relationship that weren't, you know, very modest. They were less than modest, I guess. Uh, She simply didn't know better. She came from a family that was Roman Catholic, but not, you know, really thought out in these things deeply. I, I didn't know better. We both came from homes that didn't teach us about modesty. It, it took a mutual friend pointing out, uh, pointing out that the, some of the clothing was not that modest, and he did it in a very kind way, and it opened her eyes, and, and she quickly adjusted her standards. So I wouldn't immediately rule out a woman who, on occasion, wears something that presses the envelope. Maybe she doesn't know better. So all principles should have some flex in them. And so it is here. There are, there are other attributes that should be weighed in making a decision. Look, I have known many women who have dressed modestly but were real bad candidates by being loud and stubborn women. That's what I'm going to talk about next time. But I know women who have wore those long jean skirts and long sleeves and have their hair up and, and even wear head coverings at church and have been godless, right, have been wicked. And so we can't approach these things with single variables. We have to develop wisdom. That's why this is in the book of Proverbs. It's a father trying to make his son wise. So until next time, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. 